Please rise in spirit or in body for the gospel reading. Nicodemus learns that there is more than one answer to his questions pointing him in a crooked line. And the less he seeks a source of some definitive, the closer he is to find. A reading from John's Gospel, chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a Jewish leader. He came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could do these miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born anew, it's not possible to see God's kingdom. Nicodemus asked, how is it possible for an adult to be born? It's impossible to enter the mother's womb for a second time and be born, isn't it? Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and spirit, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't be surprised that I said to you, you must be born anew. God's spirit blows wherever it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. It's the same with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said, how are these things possible? Jesus answered, you are a teacher of Israel. You don't know these things? I assure you that we speak about what we know and testify, testify about what we have seen, but you don't receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has gone up to heaven except for the one who came down from heaven, the human one. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the human one be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him won't perish but will have eternal life. God didn't send God's son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Glory to God. Well, now, present, loving God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together in this room be found pleasing in your sight, O oh God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, friends in Christ, grace to you this morning and peace from the Lord Jesus Christ. When Tim and I were in seminary together near San Francisco, we would sometimes go for coffee late at night. Uh, Tim would call or I would call him and somewhere around 9 or 10 o'clock we'd hop in his old blue Chevy Nova or my red Volkswagen Rabbit and drive off to this great coffee shop in Mill Valley. Uh, the name of the place was Upstart Crow. It's an old reference to William Shakespeare. And there we would sit for hours sometimes, drinking coffee and talking about who we wanted to be and what we wanted to do with our lives. And we talked in the language at that time, because maybe we were, because we were both in seminary, the language we used was about where and how God might be calling us. And this happened to be years before it actually dawned on us that we were in love with each other. We, we just liked to talk. And we particularly like to talk at night. Um, and why not? Nighttime is a very good time for talking. 
as many business establishments have figured out, Brookland Pint, a, a block from our house over in Brookland, has menu specials that don't even start until 10 o'clock. Annie's Steakhouse is open 24-7 because people like to gather late at night to talk about things. Nighttime is a good time to talk, and it's especially a good time to talk about deep-in-the-heart kinds of things, yearnings, longings. And I don't know why that's true. Maybe it's because your body is a little more relaxed at the end of the day. Perhaps it's because in the dark you're a little more protected from being seen too well, which is a good thing if you don't want to be seen too well. And on another level, I guess, for some of us who just sort of feel like we're in the dark much of the time, uh, maybe we feel right at home in the night. But at any rate, it was at nighttime when a man named Nicodemus came to pay Jesus a little visit. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, uh, and we know that he's a leader devoted to the Jewish law. For the Pharisee, the law was perfection, and so all they needed to know lived within the law. And so Pharisees spent their lives learning, knowing, internalizing every detail of, of the law. And yet, this well-educated, influential man comes to Jesus by night, which immediately introduces some tension into this story. Maybe there's tension between Nicodemus and his community. I mean, maybe he's meeting Jesus at night because he's a Pharisee. Have you ever had an opinion or a belief about something that you were pretty sure would not be well-received by your community, whoever your community happened to be? your family, your friends, your colleagues, your social media universe, your church. I've had people make appointments with me in my office or a coffee shop or a restaurant in the corner booth behind the potted plant. And in one way or another, they've come out to me. I'm gay, some say. I'm an agnostic. I voted for so-and-so. These are the kinds of things people confess to their pastor. And you broach these kinds of conversations carefully, don't you? Maybe it's safer to talk by moonlight. And when I look at him in this text, I can't help but wonder if something in Nicodemus is feeling just a little bit wistful, even melancholy. For all of his having done it right and from the book all of his life and for all of his devotion and all of his discipline all those years, I can't help but wonder if he's discovering at the center that something is hollow, something is incomplete. Josh, I don't think anybody could have said it more articulately today than you. Your story reminds me so much of Nicodemus in a way. As a younger man, maybe Nicodemus stayed too busy to notice very much, but now that he's getting older, perhaps it's hard for him to notice anything else. There's this particular kind of dread, especially when your life is mostly now in your rearview mirror, and somehow you're afraid that all along the way you've missed the point. You can't believe that, there's, that this, this is all that there is, can't believe there's not more substance at the center. C.S. Lewis experienced that similar kind of dread. Listen to the way he described himself and see if this word strikes a familiar chord in you. He said one time, there's a voice inside of me that urges caution. It tells me to be careful, to keep my head, 
not go too far, not burn my boats. I don't want to be carried away by, with any resolution which I shall afterward regret, for I know that I will be feeling quite differently after breakfast. And then he says these words that are printed in your order of worship today. He says, this is my endless recurrent temptation to go down to that sea which is God and there neither to dive nor swim nor float but only to dabble and splash. Careful not to get out of my depth and to hold on to that lifeline that connects me with my temporal things. The lifeline that proves to be my death line. So maybe it's beginning to dawn on Nicodemus that he's mostly dabbled in the things of God, splashing around at the shallows. And we have no way of knowing for sure, but, but whatever wistfulness he's feeling likely has been highlighted now and heightened by his observance of one man lately who clearly is full of something that Nicodemus himself does not have. A young man named Jesus has appeared. Nicodemus has been watching him. He's seen Jesus carry himself with this quiet power. He's seen in Jesus' eyes something holy and hilarious and mysterious, something very different from anything he's experienced. And he's heard Jesus talking with real authority about the human heart as if he knew it inside and out, and talking about the heart of God as if it were right there. What's more, when Jesus touches people, sick people, they get well. And just a few days ago, he heard Jesus of Nazareth had walked into a place where Nicodemus and so many others prayed on a regular basis and had cleaned it out and had said these words. He said, you tear this temple down and I'll raise it up. And so maybe it was then that Nicodemus said to himself, I need to meet this man. So there he is standing in front of Jesus under the full moon, probably thinking to himself, how do I start this conversation? He must have been a southern boy because he starts with pleasantries. Rabbi, he said, we know you must be from God. You're a teacher from God, otherwise you couldn't do what you do. He's complimenting Jesus. But Jesus won't have any of it. Nicodemus has come to him expressing polite interest, but polite interest isn't what's needed here. Nicodemus has come as, as one might come to a teacher for teaching, but what Nicodemus needs is not more teaching. T.H. White, in his final volume of the King Arthur stories, refers to Guinevere, who by this time is an old woman in a cloister of nuns, and he described her this way. He says, Guinevere never cared for God. She was a good theologian, but that was all. See, what Nicodemus needs as he stands before Jesus is not more theology, not more teaching. So Jesus just kind of kindly rocks his world. This is what he says. In truth, Nicodemus, unless a person is born again, that person can't see the kingdom of God. In other words, let's not come at this, Nicodemus, as if what you needed were something more added and piled on to your already full life. 
It's not a matter of adding something, Nicodemus. It's a matter of a whole new beginning. What you need, Nicodemus, is a birth. Now, the word Jesus uses here for birth is the Greek word anothen, which has actually two meanings simultaneously. One meaning is the word again, be born again. But the word also means from above, be born from above. And Jesus here is saying both actually, Nicodemus, you need to be born again from above. But all Nicodemus can hear is, you have got to start over. And I think maybe this is where many of us are likely to get stuck. Wondering how on earth we make a new start. And not really hearing the, the word that Jesus gave that this fresh beginning we're thinking about isn't generated by us at all. It's not something we achieve. It's, it, it comes from a power completely outside of ourselves. Now, Nicodemus is not an ignorant man. He's asking the deepest, most desperate question of all. How does a person with a past really change and start again? Eugene Peterson says that every Christian story is a freedom story. Every believer's testimony tells of how that person is set free, free from sin, from small ideas, from other people's opinion, from guilt, from regret, free from the prisons of the self. And so the gospel news for us today is that we are free to change. Did you hear that? We, you, I am free to change. Of course, being free to change and actually choosing to change, you know, two different things. Reminds me of the story Soren Kierkegaard told about a town where only ducks live. Every Sunday, the ducks waddle out of their houses and they waddle down Main Street to their church, the duck church, I guess. They waddle into the sanctuary and they squat in their proper pews and the duck choir waddles into the choir loft and takes its place and then the duck pastor comes forward and opens the duck Bible and reads to them. And this is what the pastor says, ducks, God has given you wings. With wings you can fly, with wings you can mount up and soar like eagles. No walls can confine you, no fence can hold you. You have wings. God has given you wings, ducks, and with wings you can fly. And all the ducks say, Amen. And then they all waddle home. Hearing, choosing, two different things. Jesus wants to peel back some sky over Nicodemus' life and point to the one who gives new birth. And so when Nicodemus says to Jesus, how do I do this? I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't actually answer that question. Because see, the how question wants a set of directions. The how question wants a syllabus, a map, an assignment to complete, a list to check. But Jesus knows something bigger, something deeper. And he can see here that Nicodemus is trying. He showed up, after all. And Jesus loves Nicodemus. And so he changes tracks for Nicodemus' sake. 
And this is what he says. He says, shh, listen, what do you hear, Nicodemus? And maybe just at that moment, the olive trees are rustling their leaves. Nicodemus, listen to the wind. You can't see it coming. You don't see it trailing off into the sky. You can only see the evidence that it's been there. God's spirit is like that, Nicodemus. It's real, it's, it's, it's mysterious, and it's infinitely larger than you. You can't manage it, earn it, control it. You can only wait and receive it. And I wonder if, as he listened to that, if, if Nicodemus found that answer about the wind just a little infuriating. But even so, to a very competent, smart man like Nicodemus, Jesus says, in this quest for God, my friend, you are not in control. Quit trying to manage the spirit. Be still and let God move. It's your fussiness, Nicodemus. It's your constant assertion of your will into everything that hinders God and hinders God from doing what God wants to do. So start again, Nicodemus, like a newborn who does not move or manage but is held and fed and loved. The story about Nicodemus has had me thinking this week about my own friend, Jane. Jane is a recovering alcoholic who had her own Christ encounter a number of years ago when her best friend committed murder and landed on death row in Texas. The first time Jill, Jane went to, to visit Pam uh, in prison, her friend announced to her, Jane, I'm a Christian. And Jane said, for God's sake, Pam, stay away from jailhouse religion. Everybody becomes a Christian when they go to prison. It's all a waste of time. Well, then Jane herself hit bottom. And she told me one night in a small group that we belonged to together, she said, I remember the night when I was pouring a bottle of vodka down my throat and discovered that I couldn't get drunk. The booze, she said, was coming out of my mouth and down my face, and I thought to myself in that moment, I'm going to die. But here's the thing, that tiny, improbable seed that Jane's friend had planted when she told Jane, I'm a Christian, had taken root. And that wild, mysterious spirit of God began to fill more and more of the empty, raw spaces in Jane. And by the time I met her, she was in her 50s and was enrolling in seminary. Went on to serve as a chaplain, something she discovered she was good at during all those prison visits on death row. I finally found my fit, she said to me. So friends, the winds of the Spirit are blowing. And I simply invite you this morning, as I am invited myself, to lift up your life like a sail. When Jesus said to Nicodemus, when Jesus came to Nicodemus and, and, and said what he says now to you and me, actually, you don't have to chase the wind, but only take my hand. He was telling the truth because in Christ, God has come to our life. And when Christ breathes on us, we will know that we have found the wind we've been waiting for 
to start again. And so, Lord God, we confess this morning that we don't know how to change ourselves or fix ourselves. So we empty our hands of ourselves and we hold them out to you. Come and live in us now and by the spirit of Christ in us and around us, may we find ourselves changing more and more to resemble that beautiful face. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.